This is Iron Sports 95.9106.9. We're honored to have NFL player Brandon Copeland, who went to the University of Pennsylvania, my alma mater. So, Brandon, we had Justin Watson on the show last year. So I love getting the Penn people guys here in the NFL. Yeah, man. Listen, Jay White had a, a touchdown uh, as well, too, this weekend. So maybe the good luck. Maybe I can get a touchdown this week or something. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, so, Brandon, you grew up. Uh, in in Maryland, and your grandfather played for the Baltimore Colts. So you've had the NFL, you know, in your in your in your blood, really. Yeah, no, I, I uh, I've been blessed <laughs> in that regard, and you know, having the opportunity to play in the same city that my grandfather played in for nine years, won a Super Bowl, and you know, it's, it's literally a, a dream. So many dreams come true, you know, so I've um, been able to take a lot of different things from my grandfather in terms of the advice he gave me on the field, but also off the field in terms of how to deal with uh, being a pro athlete and, and attacking it with professionalism and stuff like that. And um, it's been helpful to me throughout my entire career, for sure. Now, you were in Maryland, your team, your uh, high school football team wins the state championship. But not only are you great athletically, but academically, and you're able then to to parlay that into going to the University of Pennsylvania. I think a lot of kids, they don't understand. They're like, oh, they just focus on the athletics and not the academics. But you were able to combine them and then, you know, get into the Wharton School. Yeah, no, I mean, like you said, I, I, even me in high school, I was definitely thinking, hey, I want to play big-time football, you know, play the Bama. The, you know, at that time, I wasn't good enough to go to Bama, but Syracuse and things of that nature and and um you know my my third to last game my senior year of high school one of my teammates fell on the back of my ankle and it popped and um I remember then literally thinking hey this is that thing that all the older people in your life and the mentors and the coaches and stuff talk about when they say hey you're one play away from this being gone forever uh that to me was that moment of like oh they they are right like (laughs) they are completely right so for me, I had the opportunity to go to Penn. Um, I wanted to, you know, become an entrepreneur and things like that. Um, and so it made sense for me to take that leap and uh, try going to to uh, Penn to, and then ultimately making it to the NFL. But, um, you know, it, it was definitely a, a challenge mentally at that time of figuring out, hey, like, is this going to be the right fit for me athletically? You know, academically, I think it was definitely the right fit. Um, but also athletically, is this going to be a place where I can have the chance to achieve the dreams that I have uh, for my own football career? I think people forget that the Ivy League was formed as an athletic conference. And for like the first fit, you know, 50 years, they were there was the dominant. I mean, you think about the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, Penn was the first school to have a, their own TV deal way before Notre Dame. Yeah. So but talk about when you were at Penn, you were you were the captain of the team. They were the Ivy League champs when you were there. What was that experience? Because people think, oh, it's but it was I mean, Ivy League sports is top, top notch. I mean, it's it's phenomenal to uh, be there. I work for the basketball team and uh, we made, you know, upsets in the NCAA tournament, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, so in, we're in the D1AA. So you're, you're saying programs like the Towsons of the world, the Villanovas, and, and we would play those games every single year and against those teams. Unfortunately, the way that, that um, Ivy League football is, is set up is that's the one sport that doesn't uh, does not allow its teams to participate in the NCAA playoffs. But uh, there were a number of years that I was there when during my four years at Penn where we were like 12 in the nation as high as I think with one time we got to like nine in the nation, you know, so 
there were certain years where we were definitely, you know, confident that we could compete in the playoffs across the country and stuff like that against all the different teams out there. But um, unfortunately, you know, we never never got that shot. Um, so we'll just have to continue to dream about it. But yeah, the the athletic competition there is is uh, is super is definitely competitive, and I think it's just getting better as time is going on because I think that there's a lot of people who are turning on the NFL, you know, screen and they're seeing that there's other Ivy League guys around the league, the Kyle Juszczyk's, the Cameron Brates uh, of the world. You know, there's other guys around the league that are, are doing well for themselves and having long careers, the Justin Watsons of the world, you know, Greg Van Roten's. And, um, and, and I think it's attracting more talent to Ivy League universities. And then, you know, and we see the draft. The draft in April, you know, becomes this big draft thing. But after the draft is over, there's so much that goes on. Now, you were undrafted free agent, and you, but you were able to sign with teams, get on practice squads, talk a little bit about, and then you ended up going to the Jets, you know, starting for two years for the Jets. But how does someone go from not being the first, you know, one of the top draft choices, but actually getting a starting job in the NFL? Yeah. Uh, man, great question. It's, it's, uh, Extreme amount of work ethic. It takes a lot of work ethic, but I think it also takes a lot of mental toughness. So when you when you come into the NFL and you're undrafted free agent, you are the lowest person on the totem pole, and, <laughs> and you know people are um, not necessarily expecting you to make it right. Like you, people mistake the NFL for um, or people misinterpret the NFL, and sometimes they don't understand how much of a business it is, right? And when you look at it. The draft pick players, those are stocks. Those are investments, right? As a team, I'm going to go ahead and draft this person in the first round, which means I'm investing X amount of millions of dollars into him. I'm going to draft this person in the sixth round. I'm investing X amount of dollars into him. I'm getting this person, Brandon Copeland, undrafted. I'm investing a $1,000 signing bonus into him, right? $1,000, a lot of money, right? However, in comparison to that first-round draft pick or any of those draft picks, right, like, that first rounder might be getting millions and millions of dollars in investment, right? And so now as an organization, uh, you want to see your investment do well. Not only do you want to see that, the city and the fans want to see that, and the owner of the team wants to see that as well too, right? And so when you come in as an undrafted free agent, your, um, uh, your room for mistakes are extremely, extremely, is extremely, extremely small. Right. And so in order to make it and progress, one, you got to prove yourself every single day. Every player has to do that, even if you are a draft pick. Um, but two, you have to fight to eventually earn the coach's respect, earn the organization's respect enough where they feel comfortable saying, hey, you are our starting guy. You are good enough to be our starting guy. We value you like that. And we're not drafting a player to come in and fill that void over you because we're just going to invest in you because we see the talent there. I will say, you know, getting back to my point earlier, it takes a lot of mental toughness because a lot of people don't necessarily make it to that phase uh, because there's so many politics involved. There's so many different things you have to go through in order to even play long enough to have the ability or to get to a different team that sees you differently um, in, in a realm where you have the chance to become a starter. And I guess the final thing I'll say there is what I mean when I say see you differently, you know, it's like, um, you know, if you, if you, I'm a, I'm a parent now and I'm, a, I got a three-year-old and a, and a one-year, soon to be one-year-old. Congratulations. So yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. But, 
um, as we get to high school phase, right? Like, you know, my, my, my son will bring his friends around and, you know, one of my sons will bring their friends around and I'll look at that, that the friends as, you know, the high school version of themselves, right? Oh, that's little Joey. He's growing up, you know? And then one day little Joey years from now might want to come to me as a, you know, a professional and say, Hey, I'm not little Joey anymore. I'm, I'm the person for this job. Like I'm the best person to do this. I might still look at him as little Joey because that's the, how I met him. Right. Right. And I use that analogy for teams because there's so many players. Um, and you know, we have conversations all the time. And I tell players this: there's sometimes where you are drafted or, or you are brought into an organization as whatever role that they see you in. And for me, for example, as an undrafted free agent and then being practice squad the first couple of years, they saw me as little Joey you know, little undrafted coat from Penn, I had to go to a different place that saw me in a totally different light and gave me a different chance, right? And and, and let me play football for them to see, oh, okay, now this ain't little, this is Brandon Copeland. Like, nah, he can he can play in this league type of thing. So I know that's like a, a different type of analogy, but that is what, you know, I, I tell a lot of undrafted players. I'm not saying that you have to leave your organization to make that happen. But sometimes that is what is necessary in order for you to be seen in a different light and get that chance to play on the field. Well, your, your comment about the stocks, I mean, people who invest, if you put a lot of money in a, in a certain stock and then the stock goes down, you tend to hold on to it, waiting for it to come back rather than for something yeah. you didn't invest in, in is so much. But it must be hard when you're a practice squad player because you don't want to, the team's like, well, don't, you want to show how great you are and how athletic you are and the plays you make, but you don't want to hurt anybody on offense. So you don't want to cause an injury. So it, you have to hold yourself <laughs> back. So it, it's really hard. And then they want you to practice and pretend to be the other to- team's defense and those type of things. So it must be difficult to differentiate yourself and to show the coaches, hey, look, I can be a starter on this team and not just a practice squad player. Yeah, I mean, that's a <laughs> the great uh dichotomy of being a practice squad guy is like you you um like you said you want to make your flashes you want to make it known that hey i can i can get the job done on sunday but you also you you hit the wrong person during the week you are also fired (laughs) so uh so it is definitely a uh a challenge but you know hey it's it's part of part of the job you know you got to figure out a way to show hey I, i can beat this person clean or i can really cover the top wide receiver on our team. So that means I can cover the top wide receiver on the other team's team, but I'm not going to cause a collision on Wednesday in practice that now puts our team in jeopardy of, of, you know, competing at a high level on Sunday. Now you were at the Jets in 2018 and 19. You had two coaches, Todd Bowles, and now who is now coaching for Tampa Bay and Adam Gaze. Both coaches are well-known to be amazing assistant coaches. Adam Gay's brilliant offensive mind and Todd Bowles' brilliant defensive mind. But they both struggled, and Bowles is now struggling this year as a head coach. It, it must have been it's, – it's, it, talk about the difficulties that Bowles is experiencing, as we're seeing with Tampa Bay, uh, in terms of going from being the you know, best defensive coordinator in the NFL to being the head coach and now having to deal with everything. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, being a head coach is – you got a, a bunch of different responsibilities on your plate, you know. Um, as a D coordinator, you lock in on your defense, you know. Uh, <laughs> any specialized uh, position, you get to lock in on your defense. But as a, the head coach, you have to manage it all. You have to manage people, not only people's egos, you got to manage defense, offense, and uh, the front office. You know, you got to manage upstairs and the culture and all of those different things. And I think that 
obviously right now Tampa Bay, um, you know, one, they're Tampa Bay, right? They when you're being led by the greatest quarterback of all time, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. When you're being led by the greatest quarterback of all time or one of the greatest competitors of all time, you always got a chance, right? Um, but obviously there's some things going on there that, you know, some of which has been in the news that I'm sure, you know, are out of our uh out of Coach Bowles control, right? And and some things that might be distracting in the locker room and things like that, um, or might be affecting the locker room that he's gotta manage now and and ultimately the, the goal is, you know, guys gotta get on the field on Sunday and be the best version of yourself and also be the best team that you can be. And so I, I have faith in Coach Bowles that he'll find a way to, to get it done. Um because, you know, he he definitely deserves uh, you know, a tremendous amount of success uh because of the way he is um with people in the locker room and the way that he leads men in the locker room. And then your your quarterback at the time was Sam Darnall. And I, I guess it's just not it's about Sam, but also, I mean, what we talk about, everybody talks about is these quarterbacks, should Kenny Pickett play, should he not play, when you put the rookie in. It didn't work out with Sam in for the Jets. It, it just didn't work out, and now he went to Carolina, didn't mm-hmm. work out there either. So the point is, it what happened in the Jets? Because he came in out of USC with high expectations, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, um, he had spurts of, of – bright spots and stuff like that. I think that, like you said, sometimes uh, when you have to come into an organization, you have to uh, play right away. You know, I think that uh, that can be good sometimes, but also sometimes it can be tough, right? Because now the mistakes that you have to make, especially in the lens like uh, New York, right? Like one is players, everyone is making mistakes. Let's just even the best players that we all know and love, 99 on Madden, they are making mistakes, right? Um, when you are a young quarterback, well, one, you, when you're a quarterback, all your mistakes are really extremely highlighted, right? It's like being a cornerback. When you make a big mistake, it's probably a touchdown, and so everybody sees it. Um, when you have to make that mistake under the, the lens uh, and the eye of New York media, you know, I think the toughest thing is that those mistakes, instead of those being things that are simple learning curves for you, they become things that potentially could be mentally, um, could, could propose a mental challenge for you in the future, you know, because now you're afraid to make a mistake. Now you're afraid to throw that that ball again because you know how you potentially could hear about this all week. So it eventually takes away your your confidence as an athlete and stuff. And so I'm not saying that that's where Sam is necessarily, but I think that, you know, him being able to get a little bit of time to, to uh, you know, mature as a quarterback and not necessarily, I mean, you know, he came in as I think the youngest player to enter the NFL or he was the youngest quarterback or something like that, right? But coming in that young and, and having literally the weight of an entire uh, region. I won't even just say a state, right? Like, because you you, got, you know clearly that you know you got New Jersey, New York. You got you know some people from all over the place, right? Like that that are really rooting for the Jets and and Sam Donald specifically. When you come in and you have that that weight of the world on your shoulders, it's a lot to deal with. And so, um, you know, Frank, fortunately, he has time. I mean, I know that that might not be. Uh, the fans might not necessarily think that, but if you're in the league, you got a chance. Hey, you you got some time, you know. 
Right. And, you know, the one thing you've spent time at, and also, Brandon, tell us how we can follow you on social media because I think you have a lot of interesting things to say about the league, but you teach uh, financial courses at, at the University of Pennsylvania, and I think you have a, teach a lot of lessons in terms of these athletes who, you know, make a lot of money. I mean, it's weird being an athlete. You make your money early. Usually it's people work their way up and they start making their money when they're 30, 40, 50. The athletes are making all their money in their 20s, so they tend to, you know, not realize it's going to last that long because they're not going to be making that money later. Um, talk about a little about the advice you give in your classes and how you teach them and also, also how to follow you on social media. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, it's an easy question, I guess, is the social media. Uh, B-Cope, B-C-O-P-E-51, um, across all social media platforms. My website is brandoncopeland.com. And then if you want any financial literacy uh, or financial education resources, then go to life101.io. Um, Life 101, specifically, to explain what that is, that is the the brainchild, uh, you know, my, my baby, so to speak, my first child, uh, that, that we created years ago on just all of the different money decisions we make throughout our lives. And we basically took that and created a full curriculum around it, a course around it, a course that we teach at uni the University of Pennsylvania every off season. So this will be our fifth year of teaching it. Uh, we're expanding our class size to 120 students. Uh, we're excited. We have students who take it and literally aren't getting credit for it. It's all, it is a credited course, but there's some students who, weren't able to get a seat and so they come in and they sit in and they take the class anyway because the the information there is i mean it's stuff that we all are going to use you're guaranteed to use it it's about you know what goes into making up your credit score what is insurance uh how to buy a house how to buy a car uh what are the things i should be asking for when i'm renting an apartment right how do i protect myself as a renter uh, so a bunch of different topics and stuff but we do it in a super super digestible way um, we have fun um, talking about money, um, and we also break down some of your, you know, your history and your past relationship with money. And so, you know, the the thing that I say has helped us so far is is I don't come in claiming expert status. I don't come in preaching to anybody. I don't come in telling you what you should do with your money. It's not my job. My job is to help you understand money generally, understand money, what it is, how it can be a tool what you can do to make it a tool for you versus what you can do to have it being something that is a burden to you, right? And, and something you're always affected by mentally. You know, one of the things that we found is, you know, obviously the mental health is the conversation around mental health and mental wellness is, is extremely, extremely popular today. And, and I say popular, not in an offensive way, more of a, in a way of like, it's, it's probably talked about more today than it's ever been. Um, at any point in time. And, and one of the things that I uh, truly believe is that mental wellness and for some is directly correlated to our financial confidence or, or our financial wellness, right? And, and when you're not where you want to be financially or the bills keep piling up, it's hard to, to, to put on a smile and, and to be happy and to be mentally well, right? So, my goal and my hope is through Life 101, we can continue to impact people um, so that they can get to or feel confident about the money decisions that they're making because it, it, we're all not going to be billionaires. We're all not going to have private jets, and I'm very comfortable with that, right? And um, I just truly believe that we all can still be extremely, extremely happy, and we can all create the lives that we want 
And for some people, your life might be having more free time to hang out with your children or your your life might your your it might be more of uh hey I've invested my retirement in a better way because I understood my options better and now my retirement lasts longer or I can retire earlier, right? So it's going to look different for everybody. This this journey is extremely personal and we are doing our best to to play our role by providing different resources for people. And so, again, anybody that wants to take the course, that course from Penn is up on our website, life101.io. Um, we got our course in high schools now. And, and so we're just continuing to grow our footprint and would love to, to get it down to West Palm as well, too. No, it'd be great. I mean, so many times, you know, you teach so many different classes from trigonometry and geometry or whatever. And I think sometimes if they just teach, you know, what to do, you said, just if I understand what insurance means and how is your credit score, those things I think are going to be more life lessons than, than trigonometry or geometry or those things. So it's awesome that you're doing it to high schools, colleges. And, and as you said, it's something that you just don't have to be, you're not just teaching to athletes, you're teaching to everybody. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, we're all going to use this stuff. And I know that when I began this, a lot of people wanted me to do it just for athletes. And, uh, you know, I frankly, I told them, listen, the reason why I started doing this is because when I came into the NFL, everybody wanted to talk to me about my money, my money, but no one wanted to talk to my mother about it or my brother about it or my cousins, you know? And so I'm really doing this for them. I want to give us all a, a equal playing foot, right? Like I want to give us all an equal shot to, to create the life you want financially and to have all the information and you know what you choose to do with it is, is up to you but when you take my class you'll never that's the one thing I tell my students you take this course you'll never ever be able to you know walk away from buying your first home or buying a home and say oh, I didn't know what this meant or if only I would have known what this, <laughs> this and this meant then I would have done it differently right we take that excuse away from you which when it comes to money and it comes to these decisions are literally, you know, very uh, expensive, <laughs> expensive decisions, right? Expensive excuse, right? You understanding the difference in, uh, you know, your credit score and how your credit score is made up, right? Like you understanding that and being able to take advantage of that and boost your credit score into buying a, a home or buying a car, right? Changing that interest rate by points is, uh, I mean, it has a huge impact on your wallet. And so, you know, the thing that I've been excited about is now we're at the point where students are able to, you know, tell us some of the things that have actually directed, directly affected their pocket from our course. And so now we're starting to be able to put together a P&L of like, okay, wow, like, you know, we had one young lady in two years, she paid back 130 grand in student loan debt, and she attributes that to uh, what she not only what she learned in our class, but also just understanding how much of a burden that will be on her for the rest of her life. And not everybody can do that in in two years. Again, her situation was extremely different, and her work ethic is extremely different. But the fact that she knows that about her debt, and the fact that she's attacking it that aggressively, that's stemming from my class, right? Like that's pretty cool to me. No, and, that's and great. So you know, yeah. sky's the limit for her. That's great. Well, we've been talking to Brandon Copeland, NFL football player, expert on financial advice, teaches a class at the University of Pennsylvania. Brandon, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it.